Welcome to the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast. This is your host, Lisa Tomey. Today, we have David Martin, the founder of Fine Lines Literary Journal, a journal that is celebrating its 30th anniversary. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast and YouTube. This is your host, Lisa Tomey. I'm so pleased today to have David Martin all the way from Omaha, Nebraska. He has the founder of Fine Lines Literary Journal, and I'm very, very pleased to have you here with us today, David. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. There's nothing I like more than talking about writing. Absolutely. I can certainly understand that. That's one of my favorite topics as well. Now, I met David because I submitted um, something to Fine Lines, a poem. I'm sure it was a poem um, to Fine Lines, and it was accepted. And from then on, we just started this relationship with Fine Lines because I was so impressed with the whole approach with this journal. One thing is the personal personalized feedback, um, personalized rapport with the journal. Um, because one of the things that Fine Lines does is David has these periodic meetings with writers and it helps keep us at our finger in the pot of writing and stimulates the, the thought process. So being this is such a unique journal and it's been going on for 30 years. Congratulations, David, on 30 year anniversary. I'm the most surprised person of all. Who knew that three decades of fine lines would uh, would uh, continue that long? Something that started as a uh, four-page pamphlet in one high school class is now uh, four books a year, and each book approaches 300 pages each. I'm pleased. Wow. And in those 300 pages, there are like, you know, about 80 some nations involved. Is that right? Well, we had no idea that we were going to grow like this. And uh, I'm excited about that. And during the 30 years, we have published uh, people from all 50 states and the United States of America. And we have in three decades published people from 85 other nations. That's amazing. That's wonderful. So let's go back to when Fine Lines was a baby. How did it begin? How did Fine Lines begin? <clears throat> well, I've taught at one level or another in education for 50 years. And I suppose any teacher who's around that long will eventually get their quote, class from hell. And Three days before the semester was going to start in this high school uh, that I was in, uh, which is a very good school, um, the principal put 30 challenged students uh, in, in any way you want to define the word challenged. <laughs> they showed up in that class, and after the first day of class, I went down to see the principal and I said, why did you put me in this class? Because he gave me, a, gave me the assignment three days before the semester was gonna start. 
So it was a surprise. And all he told me then was, well, the teacher couldn't handle that class and had personal issues to deal with. And I he had to redo her schedule. And I had an open period during this class. So he said, I put you in it. I figure you can do it. Well, I thought I could teach anybody anything after I'd taught for 20 years, you know, and I was wrong. <laughs> and after that first class, I went to see the principal and I said, did you really put me in this class? Because all the reason you said before was I had an open period and he coughed and sputtered and said, well, I asked three other teachers and they said no. And one even said, hell no, I'm not going to teach that class. <laughs> so I kind of laughed with him. What else was I going to do? But uh, all these students were there for different reasons. And one was a 19-year-old girl who already had three children of her own. And every time I said, okay, take out your pencil, let's write, she would take out her crayons out of her purse. And she tried to write her high school essays and crayon. Uh, okay, so we had <clears throat> different levels of understanding, uh, different attitudes. Um, that semester I had more visits from parole officers after school than I did parents. Uh, half of the uh, students, uh, half of the 30 uh, students in that class were on parole for one legal offense or another. And goodness, everything I knew about teaching, I had to metaphorically throw out the window because they weren't working in this class. And I had to reinvent how to teach high school students who were quote, called losers by other students, uh, had failed every English class. And many of them, they were in this class because it was their last attempt to get a passing grade. If they did not pass this class, their performance was so poor at the high school level, they were going to be uh, kicked out of school. Uh, if they were kicked out of school, I mean, they were really low-level students, they were going to be kicked out of the district. Many of those students had family members that were already on the street, living out of cars. Uh, they knew they were going to be right there with them. Many of those students had people who and their family were already convicted and in prison. Oh my, it was the biggest challenge of my educational career. I didn't want to quit. I didn't want to say, oh, I can't teach these guys. So it was one of the best learning experiences of my life, how to get along with people. <clears throat> it, took, it took many of them a couple of weeks to realize I was really trying to help them. Mm -hmm. And when they finally figured that out, the chemistry started. And I was so amazed that they really did have valuable stories to tell. They would talk about the stories in their in that class and I was captivated but just as soon as I said okay let's take out a pencil or a pen and write our words down their eyes would glass over they'd freak out you know they problems would start discipline issues were raised and they were 
afraid. I don't know, that's the only word I can think of. They were afraid to admit they didn't know how to write a sentence. Couldn't even give me the correct definition of a paragraph. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those kinds of things. But <clears throat> I've been asked this question so many times before, and I'm trying to give you the short answer because we have a, a time commitment here on the podcast. But one time... <laughs> Uh, in front of a bunch of educators, they asked me a question. I talked for an hour and 20 minutes, and I started crying three times, and oh. uh, they wouldn't let me quit. They wanted to hear it all. <clears throat> and it's emotional. Yeah. <clears throat> <I> can... <clears throat> We're talking about 1991. Mm -hmm. And our first publication was 1992. So that class of 1991 with all of those troubled students led me to start a pamphlet that I circulated in the school. And I had one teacher come up all huffy puffy in my face in class in front of the students and said, the person on the front page of this pamphlet did not write this essay. And I said, Mrs. So-and-so, I saw him write it in this classroom in front of my eyes. She called me a liar. And that student was in her class the previous year, and they had so many fights that it was uh, Hollywood movie material. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. And uh, finally, she huffed and puffed out of the room. And I just looked at the class and I said, well, we all have our bad days. And I got a big laugh and we, we went on. But the person on that front page that she was talking about, <clears throat> I've kept his name anonymous because he asked me to years ago and I've never said who that was. So I just call him Jack. Mm -hmm. And... And then uh, people really wanted to know more about this person. I said, well, it didn't take long. We started calling him Black Jack. And he was a white Caucasian kid. He was uh, six foot four, taller than me. He had more hair on his face than I've ever had in, in my life on mine. He should have been on every athletic team this large school had but no coach would take him because he had so many anger management issues that on the first day of uh, practice uh, for a couple of sports in previous years, he'd walk into the locker room, find the biggest, strongest other kid in the locker room and punch him in the nose and start a fight. And uh, goodness, word got around, no coach would touch him. And what a loss, what a pity. So. Black Jack wore black clothes every day, all day, in this unair-conditioned high school in downtown metropolitan Omaha. And the uh, first day of this class was before Labor Day. Temperature was 92 degrees. We had a couple of students that passed out from the heat and the humidity. We had kids throwing up in class. And Jack showed up for this class with 
a long sleeve black shirt, a black leather jacket, duster um, that cowboys used to wear in the 1800s. <laughs> oh, if you know the weather in Omaha in August, holy cow, it's humid, it's hot. Um, he had black cowboy boots on and I made him take his black sunglasses off. And he knew he had to get along with me because the principal had a one-to-one -one with him. And this was his last chance, like I said, to pass or he was gonna be uh, kicked out of class, expelled from the district and all that. So he took off his glasses. He did not speak to me. He nodded for a yes. He shook his head side to side for a no. And that's how we communicated from before Labor Day in August, the last week of August, until the week before Thanksgiving. We did not hear the sound of his voice. He turned in enough work, so he had a passing grade. He'd come in, he'd... <laughs> that long stride, all those muscles. He was, he was physically fit in every way. And he'd sit in the back, the next to the last seat in the second row, right in front of Charlie. Well, Charlie uh, was about 5'4 and giggled. He had uh, low aptitude, but he was harmless. Mm -hmm. And Blackjack protected Charlie. Charlie knew this. Uh, sometimes Charlie would speak up and everybody in class, all the students would laugh because sometimes it didn't make much sense. Turned out he had a fourth grade reading ability, fourth grade in high school. Okay, so we had, goodness, every character you can think of uh, in that class. Okay, I'm not stringing this out. It's, I'm selecting what to tell you. There's so many stories. <laughs> The week before Thanksgiving, I came into class and I had printed this four-page pamphlet. I previously, I would gotten permission from everybody in the class that I could publish uh, some of their writing. And most of the writings were two or three lines or one paragraph. And then here was Black Jack on the front page, an essay. Must have been seven, eight paragraphs. And uh, it turns out Black Jack was the smartest kid in class and he was hiding it from everybody. And all those other teachers, uh, you know, just thought he was a loser. He was a together kid with, he couldn't hang, handle management. His family life was absolute hell. Um, he had a basement floor that was dirt in the house he lived in. He uh, maybe saw his father once every three months. Uh, his mother, uh, my goodness, she had her own stories to tell. Okay, so he's basically alone, growing up, teaching himself how to be a man, uh, making mistakes left and right. <clears throat> so the week before I put together the pamphlet, we had them write, I had them writing, and um, he was so angry while he was writing, I was walking up and down the rows, and the class was quiet, and they were really into the topic, 
they were all trying. And then I heard this pop and I turned to Jack and he had such a grip on his number two pencil, he broke it in half. And I had another one in my pocket. I went over, I didn't say a word. I handed it to him. He grabbed it out of my hand and continued where he, he stopped that sentence and finished another page and put it down, put the pencil down on his desk uh, so loudly, uh, everybody turned around. Anyway, I typed all that up. The uh, pamphlet was done. I walked into class the following week. I started passing them out. And before I got the pamphlet to everyone, Blackjack stood up with so much force, the loose student seats that were in that room, he knocked his over just standing up so fast. And I remember three boys on the other side of the room dove to the floor because that seat tipping over sounded so loud that they thought mm -hmm. they didn't know what it was. If it was a gun going off, right. what was happening, a fight started, they just dove to the floor automatically for protection. <laughs> oh, Jack, why am I on the front page, he said, with a couple other profanities tacked on and started walking out of the room. And I said, Jack, you can't leave. Come back here. You belong in this class. We want you in this class. I had to follow him out in the hall and I had to talk to him for 10 minutes and get him not to leave, let him calm down. I didn't even know why he was mad. And every time I asked him why he was mad, he got madder. And then finally, I just reached out and I didn't know what was going to happen. I had to do something to calm him down. He was standing out in the hall, tears coming down his eyes. He eventually started sobbing. His hands were crossed in front of him. And I just gently, as gently as I could, with my fingers, with my right hand, I touched his left elbow that was crossed in front of him. Just barely touched it. And didn't know if he'd strike back or yell louder or what. And he gasped that I touched him. And inhaled, I can still hear that sound. And absolutely bald in front of me. Nobody else was in the hall. And I have not always made the right decision, but I made the right one that time. I just shut up and let him cry. Right. Yeah. He must have cried, I don't know, for a whole minute or maybe it was two, I don't know. And he had to breathe sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, come on back into class. We're going to work together. That's how Fine Line started. Mm -hmm. And every time we published that pamphlet, it grew. And then I started getting submissions from other teachers and I never talked to that one woman that came into our class and said that Jack was a liar and I was a liar ever again. Yeah. I guess that she finally learned the truth of the matter. I hope so. Yeah. You were making a difference in the lives of these students. What a great so story. So going from a four-page pamphlet 
to four books a year uh, <laughs> is is uh, one of the happiest things I've had uh, uh, happen to me in my life. And uh, now we're getting submissions. I love to turn on the uh, internet, the computer. I love to go to the mailbox. We get submissions from all over, including yours. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you feel a yay about mine. <laughs> yeah, I, I talk about fine lines to a lot of people, so I'm hoping that that fills your inbox. <laughs> we love it. And um, uh, artists of all, t all types have a compassionate streak or a compassionate pocket uh, they put ideas in to share with other artists in their field. And Fine Lines is all about helping artists. I mean, we, we publish poets, we publish essayists, we publish chapters out of novels. We uh, published uh, uh, almost every genre uh, that I can think of and uh, including photography and drawing and painting, you know, so um writers helping writers is a great thing that's yes. what we do yes i know you have meetings periodically on a, usually a sunday afternoon that are virtual and bring in um different writers and come up with writing assignments the the virtual uh connection isn't for everybody i understand that some people would only want to meet in person, but in this world, we've uh, been shown that that's not always possible. And technology is a wonderful thing. We've got go to meeting uh, technology. We've got Zoom technology. Um, some people have told me that they really like uh, the feeling of togetherness uh, with our Zoom meetings, like you said, on Sunday yeah. afternoons. And we can talk to people in Canada and Mexico and Nigeria and mm -hmm. Pakistan and San Diego and Long Island and North Carolina and Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like we're all sitting around the campfire telling stories. And yeah, I like that. Now, somebody wants to submit to Fine Lines. What do they need to do? Please go to our website at finelines.org and see what we're all about, F-I-N-E-L-I-N-E-S dot org. We have under issues, uh, one, one sample book that is open and free for anyone who wants to uh, see what our books look like. And we have uh, submission guidelines on our website and a lot of information. Take a look at that. And uh, my email is fine hyphen lines at cox.net okay. and that's the direct one to me and there's a uh, another uh, email address on our website that you can submit information to if you like okay yes and i will put that information the links in the show notes so that people can go to them and and find your information and uh, about how many writers are involved with this publication Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> so 
that that class where fine lines started with that uh, pamphlet um, eventually every one of those 30 students was published uh, even the even the girl with three children of her own at 19 and wrote in crayon I uh, I found some poetry in those words of hers they were mm -hmm. colorful in more ways than one the crayon helped <laughs> <laughs> But she had she had some ideas um, that were uh, refreshing, and we shared those. Now our our books, uh, three hundred pages, we uh, ha often have uh, one hundred and fifty plus people um, printed in each issue. So it varies from issue to issue, but. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we try sure. to get as many in as possible. We like new writers, and uh, we follow standard English, uh, the rules of standard English, and we have uh, review editors that go over everything that uh, is submitted, and if necessary, we uh, recontact the uh, writers, the poets, the artists who submit to us, and if there's something that needs to be talked about, we have our editors do that. Great. I'm showing the picture of the cover of the book on uh, the most recent one now. Beautiful um, photography that you have on the cover. That was so this, nice. Uh, this particular cover was done by Karen Cater and she uh, is also a poet. And that is the Platte River that goes uh, through the heart of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Now we're gonna switch gears. I wanna talk about summer camp coming up. Yay. Tell us about so this. Yeah, this is our 30th year of uh, publication of the issues, but this is uh, also our 22nd year of having a creative writing camp. And over the years, we've adjusted our camps to the interests of the participants, but we try to get young people, elementary and middle school, uh, high school involved and uh, Lately, we've had a big surge of uh, uh, college students and adults. Um, so on this flyer, which is also on our web page, uh, our website, um, you can see we have an hour for elementary and middle. Uh, we have an hour from, uh, for high school. Every day uh, for five days straight, June 14th to the 18th, uh, Zooming. And then the college and adults, uh, we're, we're going to experiment and have two different times. Some adults um, are home during the day and uh, maybe they're stay-at-home moms or whatever their schedule is. And children might be at school, so they're free, where in the evening they're busy because everybody's home. And then right. there are some adults that work during the day and they're free at night. So we're going to try and work uh, uh, around people's schedules the best we can. Great. So some people call this a boot camp. Well, that's that's a humorous way to look at it. We take <laughs> writing seriously. The camp is every day uh, during those times. But then uh, when uh, they're not in the Zoom class, we want them writing. The, the goal, the mission for uh, the campers of every age group is to have a finished product by Friday or Saturday, have it uh, sent to me by Sunday and hopefully we'll be able to publish every single person who comes to summer camp. 
in the next four books within the next 12 months before the next summer camp starts. Okay. And one of the nice things too, you know, speaking of um, publishing in the books, you said there's before, you know, even one of the four is that a person can submit and then they can submit again and again. It's not like that's yes. a one and done type of thing. And, well, that's right. We're a totally nonprofit organization, a 501c3 um, educational literary uh, publication. And um, this uh, whole operation is uh, provided uh, through the generosity of donations of people who are interested in what we do. And we are here to serve. Our mission is to help writers grow. Uh, people come to us with all different types of uh, abilities, uh, interests, uh, and publication ideas. Uh, we just are here to help everybody grow in their own way. Um, we want them to stick around. We're not a one and done kind of thing. Mm -hmm. some, some publications are. Um, but we can't also uh, uh, think that we can publish everything by everybody. Right. Um, so send us your best work. When you mm -hmm. submit something, uh, the writer, the poet, uh, the artist uh, should think, this is the best I can do. Or in your submission, say, it is still a rough draft. Will you please help me? Mm -hmm. And we have people who love helping other writers grow. Right. Absolutely. You know, I've even got, you know, feedback from you with mine and it's helped me grow, um, especially when it comes to writing essays. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's, yeah, I could say one of the things I really like about Fine Lines is it's more personalized and I appreciate that. Well, David, I really appreciate your taking the time with me today. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I would really like uh, people who are listening to this uh, to contact me and uh, see if there's some way that we, through our sharing of abilities, can help each other become better. Um, one of the uh, happiest moments of my life was when I had a, uh, um, a writer who I'd never met uh, send a note in and say that since this uh, person was in elementary school, he thought he had ability, but not one teacher all the way through his public education patted him on the back or said, nice job, until he sent something to Fine Lines and three editors wrote to him and congratulated him on doing such an outstanding job. He said that he cried when he got that Aww. information back because no other teacher took the time to inspire him to keep writing. I was aghast. I couldn't believe that. Uh, I was a public educator uh, myself for a long time, and I tried to inspire people no matter what their abilities were. Um, Goodness. Anyway, that's that's the heart and soul of fine lines. Right. Maybe uh, maybe this thought uh, I could leave everybody with. I, it means so much to me. Fine lines is all about using our abilities 
to make a difference. And words matter. Words really matter. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Oscar ceremony uh, uh, recently, but when those singers were singing the, the main song, the, the theme song from the different movies, it was so moving. Um, I love movies too, and I uh, have helped people write movie scripts, and that's another art form, and using our abilities to make a difference. We end all of our meetings with two words. It's kind of a salute. We pick up our pins, hold them high in our hands, and say, right on, W-R-I-T-E. Thank you, David. <laughs> and we'll end on that note. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Come back again soon. Would you like to be on our podcast? Send an email to prolificpulse at gmail.com and we'll get back to you soon. Thank you. Have a good day.